Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books and Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today uh, I have the real pleasure to be talking to the author of Inside the New Mexico Senate, Boots, Suits, and Citizens, published by University of New Mexico Press. Dee Dee Feldman, how are you doing today? Great. How are you, Heath? I'm, I'm doing wonderfully. Uh, a, a beautiful spring day here where I'm recording. Um, Tell me a little bit about uh, uh, your your background um, uh, before we get to the book. Uh, we know just a little bit from the book, but um, maybe you can tell us just a little bit more about yourself before we talk about the book you've written. Sure. Well, um, I arrived here in New Mexico in 1975, uh, fresh off the boat, so to speak, from the East Coast, uh, where I lived in Pennsylvania and grew up there, uh, got a, a master's degree in political science from the University of Pennsylvania. So I had an interest in um, politics and public policy. Uh, never really planned to do anything with it, but actually... I was interested in it, and lo and behold, many years later, in 1996, I ran for the New Mexico Senate, and uh, I've served uh, 16 years in the New Mexico Senate, um, and uh, decided not to run again and to write the book in uh, 2012. The book is just is, is so interesting. You know, I think you... you, you um approach this this material you know both as a political scientist and it's it's clear that um sort of your background but but also in in many ways as as a memoir i wonder if you can um take us sort of um verbally to to new mexico and and that is if i was to travel to new mexico on the first day of the legislative session what would i see and what would i hear i wonder if you can set us in the the so-called roundhouse um, can you place us in that that first legislative session? We would we would and and who we would see and what we would hear. Well, um, New Mexico is um, such a unique state. Uh, there's a column in the New Mexico magazine called "One of Our Fifty Is Missing," and uh, it comes from the fact that so many people don't think New Mexico is part of the United States. They think it's part of Mexico. And so there are constant uh, gaffes about uh, people asking if they need shots to come here, if they need a passport. Um, and uh, while New Mexico is, um, is unique, it does exemplify some of its legislature anyway, does exemplify some of the commonalities that all legislatures have, uh, the gap between the rural and the urban, and New Mexico is predominantly a rural uh, rural state uh, with one urban center, that's Albuquerque, and, and maybe Santa Fe, which I think more people are, um, are familiar with because of its great Food and Southwest style, and and any um, any opening day of the legislature um, features a diversity that's 
that represents the state's population. We are a um, majority-minority state. In other words, uh, Anglos or uh, white folks are in the minority here. And um, over 50% of our population is composed of Hispanics, uh, Native Americans with a smattering of blacks, Asians, and others. So um, the... the um, First chapter of the book, which kind of describes this diversity and the and the ambiance of an opening day at the New Mexico legislature, is called "Cue the Mariachis and Put on Your Cowboy Hat." The New Mexico legislature is in session, um, so I think it's a an attitude where you have you know high tech uh, folks from Los Alamos. Uh, where we have a national lab that does much of the research on nuclear weapons, to, you know, the Zuni war chief, uh, to um, stylish uh, ladies from Santa Fe and their Santa Fe uh, concho belts and boots. Um, and uh, it's, it's really, uh, in that respect, quite unique. Yeah, and, and some of the, the people that show up uh, in the book are, are so interesting. I love the story that Senator Pinto uh, told you about his first trip hitchhiking to the Senate in 1975. Yeah. I wonder if you'd recount that story for us and, and what it says about New Mexico politics. Well, uh, Senator John Pinto is one of the oldest members of the New Mexico legislature. He was a Navajo code talker during World War II, uh, comes from a very rural area of the Navajo Reservation, about a third of which is in New Mexico. And um, he, um, you know, like many Navajos, uh, doesn't have too much money. And uh, when he was first elected, he was hitch actually hitchhiking to the New Mexico Senate. And uh, some uh, somebody in a beat-up Cadillac pulled up next to him, picked him up, and uh, said, uh, you know, where are you going? And he said, uh, well, I'm going to Santa Fe. I've just been elected to the New Mexico Senate. And the guy who picked him up, Senator Manny Adagon, said, ha, huh, I'm going there too. I've just <laughs> been elected to the New Mexico Senate. And so that was the beginning of a 30-year friendship between these two men. And Senator Adagon later became the president pro tem. Uh, Senator Pinto is still in the legislature and annually regales his um, fellow senators with a Navajo rendition of the potato song that we all look forward to and uh, beat on our desk. We can't really speak Navajo, but um, it is kind of a highlight of the session for the public and the senators as well. Yeah, uh, this story I think captures so much about the um, some of the geography of the state and and uh, and just so much more about the history of it. Um, yeah. So what are what are the primary dividing lines in the Senate? You, you mentioned in the book that Democrats have held a majority for much of the last 100 years. Um, are there other divisions that are more prominent in New Mexico uh, than party? And, and if so, what are they? What what brings people apart and what pulls people together? Well, the subtitle of the book is Boots, Suits, and Citizens. And so that kind of describes some of the major players in the state as well as in the in the legislature. The boots 
being the rural interests, uh, those who are interested in preserving traditional agriculture, farming, ranching, and in particular, the use of water in the arid southwest, the suits which represent the special interests and the lobbyists who are represented six to one, uh, six lobbyists to every um, one legislator in, in Santa Fe, and then the citizens. And the citizens, I, I think we've talked about some of the diversity among the population, but um, the citizen advocates um, are uh, represented in that term as well as the legislators themselves because we are a citizen legislature. And uh, we in New Mexico get no salary. Uh, we have no full-time staff. We have a part-time legislature that uh, meets only one month in the even-numbered years and two months in the odd-numbered years. Um, so um, that, um, that sets up a sort of string of consequences from that one fact. But the major divisions are, are um, I would say, newcomers versus old-timers. I would say northerners uh, versus the south. We have a largely Hispanic north and a largely um, sort of little Texas-type east side of the state. And then in the south, we kind of have a mixture. We're on the border, of course, uh, and we have a mixture of uh, fast-growing Hispanic population and a more traditional uh, ranching, um, pecan-growing, chile-growing uh, sector down there that can be quite conservative, although often democratic, as in the national scene. Yeah, and and there's some great terms in the book. Uh, that I, One of them that I was wondering if you could just explain a little bit about which is, um, what is a hat bill? A hat bill, I use bill, this term yeah. in the book. So, so what is a hat bill, and, and, and how, for you uh, entering into the Senate, uh, would you have uh, sort of witnessed your first hat bill? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, suddenly, um, uh, suddenly, you know there's some agricultural interest at uh, issue when the committee room is suddenly filled up with cowboy hats. And this happened to me when I was first there, uh, when we had a bill come before the conservation committee, which I was on, and um, it was about uh, regulating dairy farming in the eastern part of the state. There had been a big influx of dairy farmers uh, coming from California where the regulations were uh, strict and coming to the east side of New Mexico where the regulations were not quite so strict. And uh, so this was a bill about requiring the um, dairy farmers to line their pits uh, wherein they put all their waste products to line them so that the groundwater would be protected. And, of course, the uh, dairy farmers it, clad in hats and boots were there to uh, prevent that from happening and to protect their industry. And, you know, there are other industries, too. For example, some of the book uh, goes into uh, the cockfighting dispute in New Mexico. New Mexico was one of the last states to ban cockfighting, uh, which I don't know whether you're familiar with it or not. Sure. Um, but 
it's kind of a blood sport. Uh, and uh, now with the heightened consciousness of animal cruelty became very controversial, but um, it took 20 years in New Mexico because of its rural nature to get that sport banned. And we had, you know, just, you know, legions of cockfighters up there in the roundhouse. We call it the roundhouse because our capital is round um, and, and very unique amongst all the other capitals, a, a territorial-style building. Uh, they were there, and they were a rowdy bunch, uh, and they were not happy when finally, finally, after 20 years, cockfighting was restricted, and um, they brought suit, and they held protest cockfights and so on, um, and it was, it was, you know, quite a, quite the drama. Yeah, this is, you know, I think one of the things you take away, or I took away from the book, is this uh uh, New Mexico Senate is, is clearly an institution um, uh, that you have a great deal of admiration for, yeah. but you're not without your criticisms. Oh, yeah. Um, I wonder if you can, you know, before we get to some of the, um, you know, some of your suggestions on reform, maybe you could point to a couple of examples of things that you saw um, that you weren't satisfied with as a, as a way to, to, to introduce what, what um, you know, you, you think could be um, uh, reforms that would improve the system of governance in, in New Mexico? Well, um, it's kind of the Wild West down here in New Mexico. And until uh, 2009, uh, we had very few restrictions on political campaigns. And if you want to look at how a legislature works, look to the political campaigns that precede the election of its members, and you will learn a lot about whether there's going to be a big partisan divide, whether there's going to be the ability of members to compromise and to move forward together. Um, and in New Mexico, uh, until 2009, we had no caps on uh, contributions, uh, unlike most states. Uh, we have no ethics commission uh, here in New Mexico uh, unlike, again, most states, even though we have a citizen legislature where citizens are expected to keep their day jobs and serve part-time in the legislature, which kind of opens the door to conflict of interest in many ways and uh, also gives a lot more power to lobbyists who... Um, who, you know, are cognizant of the fact that legislatures do not get a salary here, uh, often are looking for uh, the next meal because we get only a, a per diem uh, that covers basically just your hotel room in Santa Fe if you're from outside the immediate area. Um, and the lobbyists are there to step in to um, provide entertainment, provide beverages, provide food, and information and campaign contributions um, because, you know, it's taking uh, ever greater amounts of money to win this seat in the House or the Senate, which doesn't pay anything. So um, there's the, the uh, area is ripe for reform. I've always advocated an ethics commission, some limits on lobbyists, and many of the lobbyists here are former legislators. I think that's probably true in other um, in other legislatures as well. 
But here in a small state uh, where personal relationships are everything, it gives a lot of an extraordinary uh, amount of power. And some of them are former legislators. Some of them are actually family members of um, of senators and representatives, which gives them kind of an inside track over and above ordinary citizens who come and are still looking for a parking place, whereas the lobbyist, um, who was the best man at the committee chair's wedding, uh, knows where the pressure points are and where the votes can be found. The um, the book is, I think, just is is really interesting as, as political science, but but I I hope that uh, those listening uh, can tell um, uh, the the very personal take uh, that uh, you you've brought to the the subject matter really does add and I think adds nuance to um, you know what we sometimes approach these subjects with, which is uh, some cold statistics. Um, I think the the anecdotes that that you recall and and this firsthand experience just to, is really very interesting. Um, the the book is out. Yeah. Um, do you have another book in you? Are you um is is the uh you you're not uh in an academic position, um so maybe you're not required to to publish. But do you have another uh book that um you're either working on or or you would love to work on in the future? Well, um, I was also a journalist um, for many years, and I, I guess I did mention that earlier. And so I, I want to go back to writing a little bit shorter form pieces and some um, examinations of some of the positive things that are going on. You know, I've written so much about politics, and uh, politics is, you know, and, and policies, like trying to get things done trying to find an opening so that you can squeeze through something really good. And I was very successful at that in the legislature, I think by most accounts. Um, but it was very long-term, very hard. Um, and it somehow, it sometimes affects your belief that good things can happen. And uh, so I, I want to write about some of the good things that ordinary people are doing outside of um, government, outside of um, partisan politics, to move New Mexico forward. And, you know, New Mexico is, I think, the second lowest per capita income in the country. Um, and we have um, just been ranked, you know, last on the, on the worst place to bring up children, um, and we have a whole series of those things. So we need to find out that there are people here um, in New Mexico uh, doing great things to preserve the environment, doing great things to um, build affordable uh, housing that is green, that is uh, energy conservative and humane, um, that there are new models of health care out there that um, are going to help restrain the costs of providing this service in a rural area by utilizing care coordination, by utilizing some of the traditional uh, promontora community health workers that we have here in New Mexico uh, in the context of a medical home or a um, a more cooperative uh, 
accountable system of uh, providing person-centered care. And these kinds of things, I think, you know, can provide a model to other states as well. So, so that's, that's kind of what's germinating in me right now. Yeah, well, until we have that book, uh, uh, Dee Dee Feldman's current book with a beautiful cover uh, is called Inside the New Mexico Senate, Boots, Suits, and Citizens, published by University of New Mexico Press and available up at their website. Uh, Dee Dee Feldman, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, sharing some stories with you. 